The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church. Welcome to those of you joining online. It's good to uh, have you all here present this morning. Today we're going to be looking in the book of Obadiah. (laughs) Okay, so Obadiah, man, he's kind of hard to find because he's only like two pages long. So if you don't know where Obadiah is, just start in Matthew and go backwards until you hit it, okay? So you'll find it, you'll come across Obadiah as the most minor prophet of the 12 minor prophets. Minor only in length, but he has an incredible message. And about a year ago, this time last year, I went up the mountain. We say going up the mountain, which means you spend a a good lengthy um, evening in prayer until the Lord releases you from that moment. And I think we were up here till about 2 o'clock in the morning, me and a few guys and I, I had him just kind of at one point in the experience, I said, man, just go sit with the Lord and see where he directs you in the word. And I did the same thing, uh, and he directed me to, like, I just, I sat down and I just kept hearing Obadiah, Obadiah, which is not like, it's not my go-to book, man. And so I started to read it, and out of that, it started me on this journey in the Minor Prophets and really uh, where... Um, how we got here into the series to, to begin to explore what the Lord was saying through these unique guys that oftentimes they get, uh, they, got, they get forgotten, you know. We spend so much time in other places in the Bible, but they're incredible messages. And one of the things out of that, like the Lord kept impressing upon me over the last year is, is sort of a vo- the voice of Ob- Obadiah. What is the voice of Obadiah? And this has really kind of become clear for me in the last um, really week, Man, after a year of prayer uh, about this, uh, the prayer of Obadiah or the message of Obadiah, is that I, I think it's a message for our, our country. <laughs> and, and I didn't see that until I started to, to dive in right now in this moment. And so as we, as we venture here into the book of Obadiah and see this major message, um, there's a prophecy regarding Edom's fall from power. Now, who is Edom? Edom is uh, Esau. It's the descendants of Esau. If you remember um, Jacob and Esau, Jacob is the patriarch of the nation of Israel. He receives the promise that was first um, given to Abraham, and now it's extended through um, uh, through through the uh, Jacob as a descendant, and he's he's brothers with Esau, and so there's a there's sort of a a, re- a rejection of Esau in that moment, and I think we see throughout Esau's lifetime, um, we see this sin that carries on into the Edomites, who are descendants of his. And a- as we see the, the, the prophecy to the Edomites from um, Obadiah, then we, we see what we learn is that um, Edom was a strong um, country, if you will. And so what they were able to do is they sat on a trade route. And so other nations would pass through this area. And it's sort of like when you go to Topeka, you have to stop at those toll booths and pay. Well, that's what they did. And so they would, they would exact a toll from people that wanted to travel through their region and, and, and get supplies in order for them to to come and do that, they would charge them money. And they were able to do this because where they were geographically located and settled um, was in an area that had cliffs that were like 5,000 feet above sea level. 
And so they would, people would come into their city, which they had inside these cliffs. There was a valley, a level plain. Uh, and, and so they, they were a very powerful nation, a very wealthy nation. And um, Obadiah has a message that God's judgment on Edom was due to the sin of pride. Okay? They become a very proud people. And a key verse um, is in our text, and you'll see it, is the pride of your heart has deceived you, okay? The pride of your heart has deceived you. Now, according to the word, pride is the sin of sins. Like if you were going to say, well, what's a, what's a bad, bad sin? And I know we all like to say, well, all sin is the same. Well, it's really not. What is the same is the grace required to forgive all sin. There are degrees of sin. Jesus himself even said, um, of Judas, him who gave, betrayed me has committed the greater sin. But it takes the same amount of grace from God to forgive the sin regardless of what, 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 whatever it is. And so when we look at this and we go, man, pride is the sin of sins, we don't think of it that way. Like especially in America, we don't think of pride as being this awful sin. For instance, we would say, well, you know, oh, John, he's a good old boy. He's just a little proud. When's the last time you said, heard somebody say, well, John, he's a good old boy, but he's just a pedophile? <laughs> you see what I mean? Like, we think pride is okay, but this other thing, we're like, whoa. And so we think, we kind of excuse it, but it, it's, a really, it's a really important thing that we see in the Word. And so pride is all about saying, I can do without God. I can make it, I can make it, I can, I can accomplish the things that, that the Lord, or whatever I want to do, and I can do life without God. And so uh, this is where we are as a nation right now, is we're in a place um, nationally where we're doing it without God. And this has been going on like we've been, we've been stumbling into this for several decades now, and now we're reaping that. And, and so when we, we look at the whole nation, we go, man, all of the problems, all of the things that are going on, all the, the situations that we're facing with all of the, the division in the country... Um, at the root of it is, is, the, is the sin of pride. We're trying to do it on our own. And that's not how we started. We didn't start as a nation trying to do it on our own. As a matter of fact, the whole reason for people fleeing to this country was so they could worship the Lord in a way they saw fit without the oppression of the government. And so we started um, believing that we couldn't do it on our own and God would make a way. And, and we became this great nation with all these incredible resources. And just like um, the nation or uh, the Edomites here, they had incredible natural resources and that led to their incredible pride. And God prophesied to them that um, through Obadiah that a fall was coming. And it, and it did, um, I think 20 or 30 years after the prophecy, um, they did fall. They fell hard and never to rise again. And so as we jump into the text that kind of gives you a background of this message you'll hear coming out from Obadiah. And this is where we start in Obadiah, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. 
You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat bread will set a trap for you. The, um, those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. And so he's basically saying the people you, you've trusted, the people you hang out with, the people you eat with, they're going to turn on you. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, O Timon, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter because of the violence against your brother Jacob. And so here we, here we see where um, we see, and, and I'm going to deal with this in the, in the follow-up sermon to this. There's going to be two sermons out of this um, text, uh, I believe. And, and the sin is against their brothers, Jacob. And so instead of being the kind of people that had brotherly love, which again is ironic, we're dealing with a lot of that in our own country right now, um, is, is instead of doing what they needed to do, they just took care of themselves. He says, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should look, not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. And so here is... They were families, like they were connected. The brother, these are the descendants of Jacob and the descendants of Esau that are talked about here. And Esau, whenever Jerusalem was ransacked, they didn't help him. They didn't come to their aid. As a matter of fact, they leveraged the opportunity and profited off of them. And again, we'll get into that in the coming week. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head, just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they have never been. <laughs> no contentment. Like, like they just keep drinking and drinking from a fountain that will never satisfy it. I'm going to say to you that that's where we are as a nation. But on Mount Zion he says, will be, a, will be deliverance. And so there's always a remnant, okay? There's always a remnant of people with God that are, are following him. So a lot of times we'll look at Jerusalem as we did in the series on, uh, on the lion and as we looked at Amos um, and, and, and Hosea, we saw that, that, that the Jews were really rebelling against God. But there's always a remnant within those people that aren't rebelling. And so there's a message always that comes from the prophet to that remnant. And again, so we would look at him when I talk about, man, this is the state of America today. You go, man, are you talking about me? I don't know if I'm talking about you or not. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But I know I'm not talking about me. 
Uh, because I know what I'm trying to live out in my life. And I'm not trying to live out a place of perfection, but I am trying to live out a place uh, from a place of obedience and walking with the Lord. And so that would qualify me as being caught up as uh, being a part of the body of Christ and being part of the remnant. And so there's always a message of encouragement that comes to the remnant. Remnant, And so that is, that is you today. If God is um, speaking to you and you go, man, here's some of the sins that we're going to deal with from Obadiah and how he talks about that, then how can we, uh, 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 what are we to take away from it? How can we be encouraged? And, and so he always is prophesying out in the future. And that's what's happening right now. It's a prophecy um, that we would look out and go, some of this is un- unfulfilled. Some of it is partially fulfilled in the age of the church has, ar- has arrived. Jesus came, he died, was buried, and rose from the dead as the first fruits of the resurrection. And he's promised to all those who call upon him that are saved from their sin, they too will rise from the dead. And so as we look and we get into this section, he says, but on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble, and they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are, who are in uh, Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev, and deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Okay, so, he, so he's trying to encourage the ones who have suffered an injustice and how you, how you make it through a time where, where there is no social justice of what you're experiencing. He's encouraging them, and he's saying, God will reconcile all of this out in the future. He's saying, like, man, you can trust that the Lord is going to take vengeance upon the people who are guilty of uh, perpetrating sins against other peoples. And in this case, it's nations against nations. And so when we look at this and we go, man, sometimes it just doesn't feel like there's any justice in this world. There's not sometimes. Because right now, the prince of darkness is the one who reigns supreme over the world. Now, Jesus has reclaimed the world for himself by dying on the cross for our sins. And we're living in the age of the last days, as I've I've, uh, taught you through this series, the last days started when Jesus showed up, okay? So we're living in the time of the last days, and the very last day will be when he comes back to actually take possession of the world. And so he will claim the world for himself. And if you study the New Testament, you'll see one of the acts that he does, and here we see the Trinity taught in the Scripture, one of the things that Jesus does is he claims the world for himself, and he judges the world. He separates, separates the sheep from the goats, and we see this um, for, through, throughout all of the Scripture, and, and you, you want to make sure you're, you're a sheep, not a goat, because it would be bad, right? <laughs> and so, so, so he separates, and then... He takes the world, and at the great marriage supper of the Lamb, he offers the world back to God the Father. Okay? And, and so that, that's his body. And so all of creation is redeemed. 
And so when we look at all of the injustices of the world that have even happened throughout history, there, there are many injustices suffered by many different people groups. And, and we go, man, that just doesn't seem right. And it's not right. But God will, he will reconcile all of that. And the judge of all creation will, will require um, his wrath will be poured out upon the guilty who have not been forgiven and covered by the blood of Christ. And so we have to look and go, sometimes, sometimes even in our own lives, and we could look at that and go, well, we could, we could say these things that are going on in racism. Does that mean that we're not to fight for, the, uh, for, for, for what's going on and try to improve uh, the things that are happening in the world? No, that doesn't mean that at all. As a matter of fact, that's what Esau and the Edomites are being reproved for. They did nothing. They didn't do anything in this situation. They just, as a matter of fact, they profited off of it. And so we look and we go, man, um, we, we need to be engaged in bringing about justice in the world. And I think that we're going to see in today's talk one of the primary ways that we can do it. And, and, but we also need to understand that sometimes justice won't come to us. Sometimes we, people will, like we're trying to look out for people in business deals. We're trying to do the right ethical thing because we belong to a kingdom that we're citizens of another kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, and we trust the Lord in that. And sometimes the people we're dealing with don't, and they will try to take advantage of us, and sometimes they will get uh, uh, one up on us. But that doesn't mean that we get to act like them because they aren't citizens of the kingdom. We're citizens of the kingdom, and even if it means that they end up getting one up on us, we have to trust that the Lord is going to take care of us. And if we don't, then guess what we're doing? And this is what I'm about to teach you is we're committing the sin of pride, all right? And so we have to look at these things sometimes and go, man, in every situation, I have to trust that the Lord has my back. He is the one that will take vengeance on these situations. He will wrong, uh, or he will right all the wrongs that have been committed from nation to nation and person to person. And so that's what he's doing and speaking about even the future. He's going, man, even no matter how bad it gets, and, and Obadiah had no idea that he was prophesying about the future coming of Christ himself the second time. Like he's, he's prophesying not the first arrival of Christ, probably a little bit of both, because how it's going to happen is Christ is going to come the first time, but then he's going to return. And so that's what we're looking forward to. And so even sometimes when we get discouraged, we get a little down and things get hard and people reject us, we have to look and we have to go, man, people are rejecting Jesus too. But Jesus is coming back and I know Jesus hasn't rejected me and I've got to keep my eyes focused on the king because the king is coming. And when he comes, it's going to be a great day for all those who call upon him as Lord and Savior. And so we look at this and what we, we, we learn um, that Obadiah points out Edom's pride and why God turns against them. And so I'm going to give you, um, like, what is pride? It's sort of a hard thing to define, but in, 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 in terms of, because there's some healthy pride. Well, I'm, you know, like, well, I guess I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I will now. <laughs> Two of my girls, man, slammed some slammer bucks this week. And I'm proud, man. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm proud of my daughters, man. Their first bucks, they, they drilled them, and they were good bucks, and, and it, was, it was so fun. And I don't know if there'll be any left for me later, but who cares? And so when I tell you that I'm proud of my daughters, that's not the kind of pride I'm talking about, okay? That, that's good, healthy pride. I'm proud of their accomplishment. 
Okay, so when we look in, we go, what, what is the pride that God hates? And what is that pride about, this biblical theological concept of pride that is the sin of sin? Let me break it down for you. First of all, the proud choose to trust in the natural they see instead of the supernatural they don't see. That's, that's, that's guilty number one. If you, if you want to look and go, where am I possibly being proud? So where do you get that? Well, for Edom, her defenses were impregnable. Um, she, you had to enter the city through a winding um, canyon that averaged 15 feet in, wheat, in width. Okay, So 15 feet wide. And so to get back into this level valley that was up inside of these mountains, you had to go through this canyon that was only 15 feet wide. And they had caves along the way that served as homes. And so what it put them in is that, is that a dozen men could hold the city against an entire army. Why? Because the army couldn't get in there. And they'd just pick them off, you know, just pick them off one at a time. Because the army couldn't rush in and overpower them. And they would just pile up bodies and they were, they, they, they were, their, their natural resources were incredible. That's why um, that you look at them and, and they, 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 could, they could feel like they were in a safe place. And so they say in verse 3, who can bring us down? Right? And God reminds them, I can bring you down. You can soar up like the eagle, but I'm above the eagle. And so what we learn about this is that God exalts a nation, and he will bring that nation down if it forgets him. That's what we're taking away from the book of Obadiah. And so that's why it's a little frightening uh, for us as Americans. It is for me just having a biblical worldview and looking at all that's going on, man, and knowing that God has exalted the United States of America. If she doesn't get her act together, God will bring her down. You know, what will happen to me? Well, I don't know, but I'm part of the remnant, and I'm not really going to worry about it. He will take care of me, and even if I die, I have nothing to fear, okay? But we should be concerned about this because we see that God does exalt a nation, and God will bring a nation down. And it's the same is true for people. God exalts a person, and God will bring a person down. And how does, how does that happen? It's when a person chooses to trust in the natural they see instead of the supernatural they don't see. So they look at things and they make decisions and they go, well, I know God wants me to do this, but I can tell, man, if I do that, what's happening in the world around me, I can't live that way. That's, that's probably not for me because I know how things work in the world. So I'm looking at what I can see instead of what I can't see, and I'm beginning to make decisions based upon my physical sight instead of my spiritual sight. This is why Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. We're constantly reminding ourselves that we don't make decisions based upon the things around us that we can see physically. We make decisions based upon our spiritual eyesight. Jesus said, you have eyes, but you cannot see. He said, thinking you see everything, he said to the Pharisees, you see nothing. Okay? So we need to know that uh, the proud choose to trust in the natural they see instead of the supernatural they don't see. Here's the second one. The proud rely more on people than the prince. Okay? Verse 7, he says, your allies, your friends, will deceive and overpower you. Alliances are good, and we should seek to make alliances with people because they make us stronger. But the only one you can really rely on in your alliance with is God himself. 
And so when you start putting alliances with people above your alliance with God, you are proud. You say, well, when would you do that? When you choose who you're going to date? When you choose who you're going to go into business with? I know that God says not to be unequally yoked, but this guy's loaded with cash. I'm loaded with talent. And so he doesn't believe the same way that I do, but that's okay. We can get together and things will work out. When God says, don't be unequally yoked, you're just asking for a problem. Don't be unequally yoked with the person that you're dating. You should never date a person who doesn't at least have as strong a faith of yours as yours are stronger. Why? Because you are going to ally with somebody who is not going to help you along in your journey with Christ. You're making an alliance with that person. And that alliance can take you down a road where ultimately you'll find yourself moving away from God if you're not careful. Now, am I saying that that's the way it works out every time? No, but I'm saying that um, if we look at the Proverbs, we could take away wisdom from the Proverbs and see that it is an unwise thing for us to do. And so the proud, what they end up doing is they rely on people more than they do the Prince of Peace. So they make their decisions based on, <clears throat> for instance, go, well, if I get too committed with this Jesus um, that Jimmy's talking about, and I really sell out to him, <clears throat> and I, I start uh, following him, and I, I start really following him as Lord, then it's going to mean that I start functioning different with some of my friends. And if I start functioning different with some of my friends, they might not jive with how serious I'm getting. They may even think that I've, I've gone off the deep end and I'm a holy roller. And so I kind of got to balance things. And so I'm going to be in church, man, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all that I can there, but I'm not going to go as far as Brother Jimmy says that we, sh- we, we should go. Okay? So now you're relying on people because you're afraid of what might happen. And again, you're looking at what you can see instead of what you can't see. And as you make those decisions, you're expressing pride in your heart against God because you're not trusting that he will take care of you even if the people that are important to you reject you. So that's the second thing the Edomites did. Here's the third thing. The proud follow their wisdom instead of the way. What is the way? Jesus said, I am the way. All right, verse 8, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, men of understanding? What's interesting is is one of the guys... uh, in the story of Job, he was, he was one of these Edomites, okay? So they were, they were renowned people for their wisdom. And, and here, um, they're relying on their human wisdom. When you rely on your wisdom over Jesus, you are surely, surely setting yourself up for a fall, okay? Now, America, when we look at, at, at where she's at, she will never solve her great problems until she recognizes where her greatness come, came from. So, so when we think about terms of wisdom individually for us, what does this look like? Um, I'll show you what it looks like. When you rely on your wisdom more than you re- rely on the, 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 instead of uh, the way himself, it looks like this. You go, well, I know the Lord says that I should give of my income. Right? And, 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 and so what does he call us to? We, we, we practice the biblical approach of tithing, giving 10% of the first fruits of your income. You say, well, I know, but I, I really can't afford it this month. That's your wisdom instead of the way. Because a person who is, is, has humbled himself before God and is not walking in pride goes, man, before I pay any other bills, I'm honoring the Lord with my first fruit just so I make sure I don't have more bills. 
Because, and you're going to say, well, wait a minute, are you saying that, that God takes care of people who give? Absolutely I'm saying that. The, the scripture is over and over he's, he, that, that principle is taught. Now, what is not taught is that you will become wealthy if you give. That is not something that is taught in the scripture, but you will have all you need. And so like a, a wisdom would say, well, I don't have the money to do that. That's for the people who are further along in life. I mean, I've been tithing since I was, I started tithing when I was 15 years old. Jonah and Faith. <laughs> Lest you think I'm preaching and wondering who I'm preaching at. I'm preaching to all of us. And, and, and the only time I didn't is when I rebelled from the Lord. And, and the Lord has honored that, man. I've never had a job being in ministry where I've made a ton of money. But, man, the Lord has taken care of me and made uh, what I have. Um, he's provided for me and allowed me to, to have a good life and provide for my family. And so that wisdom would say, well, that's not for me. But the way would say, it's for everybody. Wisdom um, would say, uh, in a relationship, and we, we always, you know, the, the church is real good about beating up on the homosexual movement, you know, and, and how, 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 you know, how f that's so perverted. Well, let's talk about the people in the pew. Like wisdom would say, human wisdom would say, well, I probably, I need to go ahead and have sex with my girlfriend before I'm married so that I know that all that'll work out. That's human wisdom. The way would say, you keep the marriage bed undefiled and you don't have sex until you come before God and become one. Amen? Yeah. All right, so like we need to be looking inside the church, not outside the church, to talk about what's wrong with America. And so that's wisdom would say that. And you don't need to worry about whether that other thing is going to work out. That will work out, bro. <laughs> like it will work out, okay? Uh, and there's no problem with that. And so, like, wisdom, that's how wisdom functions. And so we could look at these in all different kind of things, just hundreds of scenarios. We go, man, we have to be looking at not using our own wisdom and, 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 and denying the wisdom of God. What he says is the way that we should live. And so that is the major uh, message for Edom. And, and what we want to be is, is people of repentance who asks the Holy Spirit to lead us. Lead me in this, Lord. Show me where you want me to go. And that, again, is the major message. So it brings us to this point. Well, what's the solution? Like, what do we do if this is what pride is? And you've kind of pointed out, Jimmy, all different illustrations. And um, so how do, we, how do we go through life making sure that um, we're not sinning like the Edomites? Well, here, here it is in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 through 15. Now listen to this. This is another message from God. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. Where is he sending it? Among his people. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. And so the Lord couldn't be more clear about his expectations for us. He couldn't be more clear. He doesn't ask for perfection, but he does ask for 
action. So what is the action? Very quickly, we'll roll through these. Number one, you overcome pride by humbling yourself. So you humble yourself. Believers are the ones that must do this. We cannot expect unbelievers to do something if we won't do it. So unbelievers need to be able to look at us and see us humbling ourselves. And the scripture says, if you humble yourself before God, he will raise you up. He will raise you up above your circumstances. The book of James is an incredible book about wisdom that you can study. And and when you're looking at some of these hard things, if you will humble yourself before God, he will raise you up in in the midst. And so um, repentance and, and revival Always. So we look, at the, we look at America. We go, man, America. What, what's going to happen with America? What America needs, I believe this with all my heart, what America needs is a spiritual awakening. It has happened before, okay? There's only a few major spiritual awakenings that have happened in, in history. And it has happened before, and she is in dire need of one right now. And repentance and revival always begins with the people of God. It doesn't happen outside the church. It happens inside the church. It's when we become the people who are um, humbling ourselves before God. And so what we need to be doing is we need to be humbling ourselves. Now, I do feel like this this humility thing is a very interesting thing. Because once you say, I think C.S. Lewis (laughs) says, once you say, well, I'm a humble person, you've just proved that you're not humble, okay, by the statement itself. Uh, and here's where I look at my life, and I know that I've grown in humility, but I have so much more to grow in, and I see that, and the more that I, I, I like physically for me in this past year, the way it's been expressing itself uh, since last spring is, uh, I, you know, I, I start my prayers now intentionally getting on my knees, and just starting with, and I don't finish them that way, um, but I start them that way, and just getting on my knees and humbly confessing to God. Like, I'm a beggar. I, I, what, what right do I have? And I'm bowing before him, and it's helping me to try to um, humble myself with people and to be more like him and have the characteristic of God to be hu- humble. Like when Jesus was disciple, washing the disciples' feet, what a humble thing for him to do. Okay, so look at everything you're saying. And are you being humble in that moment? Are you being humble with the things that you express on social media? Are you being humble with the things that you, um, you post? Are you being humble with the, the way that you talk to people at work? The things that are coming out of your mouth, are you being humble? The only way to be humble is, is to first humble yourself before God, and it will help you to see where you're not humble. Because you'll begin to realize, man, what, what, what right do I have to even talk to God? And so now you'll start treating other people the way that God treats you. And so uh, overcome pride by humbling ourselves. Second, pride is overcome by praying. Now, it's strange that we must be encouraged to do this, but we must be reminded because prayer is work. That's why it's hard. It's hard for you to pray. So it's easy to do other things. And because it'll take you away from this. And so prayer is an intentional thing. And so my question for you is, if God is going to heal our nation, how much time did you spend uh, in the last seven days actually praying and talking to God? This is what he says. When the plague comes, did you ask him to lift the plague? You say, are you saying that that, that, that God sent COVID-19? I don't know. 
I just know COVID-19 is here, and I wish that it would go away. Right? It's, it's, it's frustrating. And so I'm asking the Lord to lift his hand. And, and we see this over and over like in, in the Old and New Testament, that the people of God would ask him um, to lift uh, his hand from this. Take this away. But how can we expect him to do anything if we're not humbling ourselves and then beginning to pray and talk to him about it? Listen, unbelievers aren't going to do it. Unbelievers probably think we're crazy for even talking this way, right? But we walk by faith, not by sight. And so uh, the, the second thing is that we must be reminded to pray because prayer is work. And, and there are so many things that you would much rather do than pray because it is work. Like right now, my garage is a mess. It's just a total blown up mess. And the only thing that's going to fix that mess is work. And so I'm either going to have to live with the chaos that is in my garage, or I'm going to have to take some time and invest some work into bringing some organization to the chaos. The same is true spiritually of prayer. It's just work. You're never, like when I talk about prayer and you say, oh man, I, Pastor Jimmy, he just got it down, man, and, he, and it's because he's a pastor. No, it's because I'm not spiritually lazy. You are. That's the difference between a praying person and a non-praying person. A praying person has made the decision that they will humble themselves before God and they will not be spiritually lazy and they will go to the throne and they will talk to him. It's still work for me, man. And so like, that's just part of a rhythm of life that you have to establish. And if not, then your life is always going to be a mess like my garage that has been neglected. We'll be starting at 1 o'clock if you want to come over and help. Third, overcome pride by seeking God's face. So was that praying too? No, it's not praying. This is not prayer because prayer has already been mentioned. This means to seek his will, to look to see the way his face is pointed. Now, how do you do that? Well, I'm reminded of Jesus. It says that he set his face um, like a flint toward Jerusalem. As soon as he made the decision that he was going to go to the cross, he set his face toward Jerusalem. And the disciples were like, hey, man, I don't think it's a good idea that we go back there, man. They, we might lose our lives. They, they might want to kill us. You know what happened to John the Baptist. You see, they're using human wisdom. They're using um, all of the ways of the world. And Jesus turned and he set his face toward Jerusalem and he left and he never turned back and he went straight to the cross. Okay, and what did he teach the disciples? to do the same thing, is to follow him wherever he goes. And so that's what we have to do, is we have to look and go, man, Lord, where are you going in this? Like, what, what is going on around me, and where are you going, and how do you want me to function? And we have to pray in our prayer time as we're seeking his face that the Lord would give us eyes uh, to see him. And then finally, you overcome pride from turning from your wicked ways to serve him. Now, it's interesting that this is the last one listed. Because if, if we listed it first and said, uh, you need to turn from me, like if you want me to heal your land, you need to turn from your wicked ways. The first thing we would say is, I'm not wicked. <laughs> right? Yeah, wh well, what is wickedness? Wickedness is not listening to God. Anytime we're rebelling from God, we're, being, we're, we're taking on the attributes of the enemy, not the attributes of, of the son himself. And so when we look at that, we go, man, he gives us this list and, and chronicles this way is because when we humbly engage, first of all, the word, and we pray, and we seek his will and repent, then what happens is he will show us in these, and through this um, humility and this prayer and this seeking his face, we will see that we're wicked. 
It happens to me all the time. Now I just bow down and say, Lord, like, I'm, I'll be right in the middle of prayer. And I've been trying to talk to the Lord, and all of a sudden I'll find myself telling somebody off. You ever done that? And it's like, man, look, what's wrong with me, Lord? And just, there's wicked, like, search me, fi- help me to find these places. It's in those moments that I'm trying to talk to God that he reveals some things about myself that I realize, man, oh, golly, I need, to, I, need to, I need to die to this. And so it's in those moments that I see the things that I need to repent of and follow the Lord in. And, and so we humbly engage the word, we pray, we seek his will and repent, and then he heals. And so here's the big idea of today's talk as Sean comes to prepare to take us out. A nation is exalted one person at a time. So, so like when we look at the, pro- the problems of the nation, it doesn't start in Washington, D.C. It starts in churches like this right here, and it ends up in Washington, D.C. That's how it happens. It's one person at a time. So a nation also, get this, a nation also falls one person at a time. And so we look at this and we go, man, we want to be people who give the Lord cause to exalt this nation. And that's what I would encourage you to, to be is like, look at this and go, man, I, I'm a citizen of the kingdom. And so I would always encourage you, man, as a citizen of the United States to register to vote. Get out there and vote. It's, a, it's part of a, a, just being a good citizen and being informed and know it. Well, I would encourage you today is to be a good citizen of the kingdom. And that's so vitally important, is that you, um, you be a citizen in the kingdom that humbles yourself before God and recognizes, man, I, I don't want to be proud. And, and so a proud person will go, yeah, it's all good, but I don't agree with it. There's the problem. Like, that's Pride. Look at this. You go, man, what is the Lord calling me to? Like, where, where, where do I need to bow to him? Um, do I need to say yes to him? He's trying to get my attention and has been for some time about baptism, um, about giving, about serving, about giving him my life. I see these are all issues of pride because pride will keep you from all of those things. We say, well, I really don't need to do that. Then why did God tell us you did? You see, you elevate yourself above God when you start to think that way, and that's the very thing that he despises. And it's hurtful not only to you, it's hurting your family because they're not getting the movement in the kingdom that they would if you were getting the movement that you were were supposed to be getting. It's hurting the, the local body, the ministry here at OPCC. If you aren't getting movement like you're supposed to get movement, then then the church can't get movement like it's supposed to get movement. It's hurting um, our city. If you aren't getting movement, then our city can't get movement. And it just plays on out to the county and and state and to the nation. And you end up with what we have right now. So when you look at the world and you're so frustrated by all that's going on, it's a good time to get the spiritual mirror out and look at it and go, where am I in my pride with the Lord? Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.